0: Hello everyone, my name is Nicola, aka Socrates, and as always, I will be the man with the questions. By the way, you guys are all watching Singularity One-on-One, which is a regular podcast feature of Singularity Weblog. And if you enjoy the show, please help me make it better. You can do so by one of two things. Um, you can, one, go to iTunes and write a review for the show, or number two, you can simply go to our donations page and make a donation. Uh, my guest today on this show is, uh, Giulio Prisco. Giulio is an Italian information technology virtual reality consultant, as well as a writer, futurist, and transhumanist. Formerly a senior manager in the European Space Agency, Giulio Prisco is a physicist and computer scientist. He's an advocate of cryonics and contributes to the science and technology online magazine Tendencias 21. He produces telexel, telexelate, telexel, Is that how you say it? Yes. Teleaccelerate. Ah, finally, I got it. <laughs> An online talk program using virtual reality and video conferencing, and focused on highly imaginative science and technology. Julio is also a member of the advisory board of the Lifeboat Foundation and a founding member of the Order of Cosmic Engineers and the Turing Church, fledgling organizations which claim that the benefits of technological singularity, which would come from accelerating change, should or would be viable alternatives to the promises of major religious groups. So after this uh, introduction, hi Julio. I'm very happy to have
1: you on the show. Thank you very much, Nicole, and I'm very happy to be on the show. I have been an admirer of your work uh, for a long time.
0: Thank you very much. And uh, speaking of admirers and, and viewers, uh, I should give credit at the very beginning here to uh, Katerina Kryonica, uh who is one of my uh, show's listeners and viewers, and who actually suggested that I do uh, this interview with you today. So thank you, Katerina. I really appreciate your suggestions. Okay, so let's jump right in the interview here with the, the first question, which is, Julio, can you tell us a little bit more about when, how, and why you got interested in issues such as transhumanism and the technological singularity?
1: It was, uh, it was a very long time ago. It was actually almost 50 years ago. And I was a child at that time. I'm uh, one of those who can uh, really see to have been a transhumanist forever. Now what happens was date, uh, I remember it very well. Uh, I was about five or six and uh, my mother took me to the beach, but uh, she wanted uh, to have some quiet uh, time, so she gave me books to, re- to keep me quiet. She gave me some children books, of course, but sometimes she didn't have any children book to give me. So she gave me some of the same science fiction book that she used to read uh, herself. My mother was really an avid reader of uh, science fiction. And it so happened that uh, some of those books was uh, very good. For example, I remember reading uh, Childhood's End of uh, Sir Arthur C. Clark when I was uh, like six and uh, wow. those books really blew up my mind. I have uh, been a transhumanist ever since. Uh, the ideas that I have now, I had exactly the same ideas when I was uh, a child and after that uh, teenager, of course, at that time I was not able to express my ideas very well. And of course, I did not know that uh, there was uh, such a thing uh, called uh, transhumanism. Mm -hmm. I learned many years after that, that there was a name for the philosophy that uh, had always been uh, mine, Mm -hmm. since I remember having the use of reason.
0: So if I get this right, uh, Arthur C. Clarke's book, uh, Childhood's End, uh, was in a way the entry point uh, of view for the ideas uh, behind transhumanism without the explicit awareness of the
1: term and so yes. on. Yes, that book and other similar books, of course.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Uh, no, since we are uh, talking of Arthur C. Clarke, I think I must mention, watching like so many people of my <laughs> generation can remember that we watched the 2001 when we were very young, yes. and that really changed our life uh, forever, and I think for good.
0: Yeah, and Stanley Kubrick's film is is a is going to be a classic forever. I I think it is definitely yeah. Um, so so this is how you got sort of uh, pushed towards transhumanism. But what about the idea of the technological singularity? How did that happen?
1: Mm, I'm not really even 100% sure of what you mean by the idea of technological singularity. Because as a matter of fact, Mm -hmm. uh, I have seen an article of uh, uh, yours a few (laughs) hours ago on the IET site uh, where you say that there are actually many different definitions (laughs) of singularity. And you mentioned uh, like uh, 17 or 18 or them. And I think there are even many more than that. Perhaps Ah. if you ask uh, two different persons what is the singularity, you get two different answers. I stick myself to a not uh, very precise uh, definition. And uh, I'm not very interested in putting a a date on that. Uh, I don't really care whether singularity happens in 2035 or 2075, or whether we have a few hundred years to wait.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I think uh, some very important, very dramatic, very fast and very radical change will uh, definitely come. And that's what uh, we call singularity. Now, you realize that from uh, my deliberately very loose uh, definition mm-hmm. we can interpret singularity in many different ways and according to one of these interpretation we were we are already living through the singularity now
2: yes
1: because as a matter of fact uh, the fact uh, that we have uh, a magic uh, device in our uh, uh, pockets that uh, lets us uh, uh, talk to everyone on the planet in a few seconds and uh, access some uh, very magic thing uh, called the internet would have seemed uh, something absolutely unbelievable and ununderstandable, uh, some mm-hmm. kind of uh, future uh, magic yes. to the generation of our uh, grandfather. So from the point of view of uh, my uh, grandfather, I think we, w- we are living through the singularity now. Mm -hmm. Uh, From our own uh, point of view, since we are very used to the technology that we have uh, around us, uh, what we call singularity is uh, something that happens in the future when we have uh, even more uh, magic uh, technology around
0: us. Let me see if I can press you a little bit here on that point, though, because... uh you see, Werner Vinci says that if you take, uh, for example, uh, Mark Twain or uh, uh, a, a little bit more better than average intelligent person from the 19th century and you bring them in today, say take for example, Jules Verne or somebody else, uh, they would be amazed by all the technological progress that we've made, but in a way they would understand it. They would be impressed, perhaps, but they would understand it. They wouldn't be uh, um, unable to, they would not say it's incomprehensible. Now, the technological singularity, though, according to the Virgin, uh, to the Vernervingian sort of meaning of the term, has this event horizon uniqueness uh, of never happening before in the sense that. the difference between now and the moment that the singularity happen, happens will be radically incomprehensible for us in our current form. Just like, say, if you bring a goldfish to our century or, uh, uh, or just like a, a, a flatworm cannot understand the opera. So the, the difference of comprehension is humongous. There's an abyss of, of understanding between the two. So in that sense, your grandfather perhaps... Um, doesn't know how the Internet works and so on, mobile technology and so on, but he understands the principles uh, are scientific behind it. And in that sense, it's not too strange. Do you understand what I mean? And so the general definition of the singularity that I accept uh, usually is the one that talks about this event horizon, radical uniqueness uh, never occurred before in the past, which separates everything that happened before and after and the intelligences that deal with it. So after the singularity, when we have the birth of super, super smart, superhuman intelligence, we, with our own limited cognitive capacity, will not be able to comprehend it from this point of view unless we are beyond on the other end of the hole and looking backwards.
1: Well, um, I do understand this definition, which, uh, on the other hand, is a uh, kind of the standard definition of singularity if such a thing exists. Yes. Um, But I think uh, this way of looking at things uh, is perhaps uh, Mm -hmm. over-dramatized. Let me make another example. Let's uh, not uh, think of our uh, uh, grandfathers. Mm-hmm. But let's think of people, say, a thousand of years ago, someone yes. in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Now, from uh, from uh, their point of view, what was important was finding a way to eat yes. every day. To survive, yes. Just the very fact that we, at least in our uh, parts of the world, do not, have a problem of hunger would have been something understandable from their point of view and uh, when it comes to water, I am deliberate avoiding to make uh, high-tech examples mm-hmm. I want to make low-tech examples. How do we get a water?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There is a, a magic hole in the wall
2: <laughs> and
1: water comes out of that magic hole in the wall, that's fantastic from the point of view of someone who had to walk miles to get water. If you think of the problems that uh, we faced, think uh, how scared somebody is today seeing uh, the possibility. Of being uh, a couple of months late in the repayment of a mortgage to the bank, and think that that very concept would have been completely ununderstandable to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, why am I making this example? Well, I'm making this example because I don't uh, really believe in an in an event uh, horizon where everything a change from one day to the next, mm-hmm. I do think uh, it will be a much more uh, uh, gradual thing that will happen. And I do think uh, that uh, even if uh, the singularity will would seem like uh, something ununderstandable from our point of view, mm-hmm. it will continue to look like uh, business uh, as usual. To those uh, who will uh, live uh, uh, through it, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why I was saying a few minutes ago that from from the point of view of our uh, uh, grandfathers, we uh, we are living through the singularity now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
1: from our point of view, maybe the singularity will happen. I don't know in the second half of the century, and from the point of view of those. Uh, will be alive uh, at that moment, perhaps the singularity will be something that will happen in the future.
0: <laughs> yes. I think it was Marvin Minsky who said that if you're actually riding the or surfing on the wave of technological development, then from that point of view, there is no singularity really, because you are riding the wave. I agree um, with that. Yes. Uh, so okay, so we spend a, a little bit of time here talking about the definition of the singularity, which could be very useful to sort of position your ideas. Um, perhaps it's also good to clear out the other term that we've mentioned here,
1: transhumanism. Mm, now, hold you... on, uh, uh, yeah. one moment, if you sure. permit me, sure. coming to the definition. A few years ago, I think it was, I uh, uh, think it was two thousand nine, mm-hmm. uh, three years ago. I wrote an article. Uh, called uh, I, uh, I am a singularity who doesn't believe in the singularity. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah. that, uh, I think, it sums up, it sums up very well uh, my definition and uh, position on the singularity in the sense that I don't really believe anything like a singularity will happen according to its standard uh, uh, definition Mm -hmm. for uh, the reasons that I just explained. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the same uh, time, I very much uh, uh, share, agree, and uh, 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 sympathize with uh, what I may call uh, the singularity mindset. Mm -hmm. We would not be here discussing now if uh, we didn't share this uh, uh, mindset. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by I am a singularity who doesn't believe in the singularity.
0: <laughs> that's very interesting. I'll, I'll try and see if I can find a link to that article and post it, uh, I'll find it. together with the interview. Fantastic. Uh, so so perhaps uh, can we move on then to the definition of transhumanism and see if you have a more specific definition about that term, or are you equally broad? Uh,
1: is uh, a very uh, broad definition as well I guess I think uh, transhumanist mm-hmm. is just uh, uh, the idea that uh, we can improve uh, the human condition by using advanced uh, technologies mm-hmm. and what the uh, transhumanist thinks is that uh, first, uh, it is something uh, feasible. Improving our conditions through advanced uh, technology is something that uh, we can do. And uh, second, it's something uh, desirable. It's something that we should do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think this is the very central uh, definition of uh, transhumanism that is more or less uh, shared by all uh, transhumanists, then, of course, we have individual uh, uh, differences regarding uh, so many other points. But I think on this point, uh, everyone who calls themselves a transhumanist would agree.
0: So when you say this is something that we should do, you mean from an ethical point of view, don't you?
1: Mm, I don't really know what the word uh, ethical means. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Of course, I have read uh, many definitions, but I think I don't understand them. Uh Ethics uh, is something uh, too difficult for me. Perhaps I have not studied enough. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think if uh, something uh, results in uh, happiness of uh, many people, Mm -hmm. then it is something good. And we should do it. If something uh, instead makes uh, people uh, unhappy, then it's not good and it's not something that we should do. I really am not interested in any concept of uh, ethics uh, deeper than that. Mm -hmm. The way I usually express this uh, critique of uh, ethics is, uh, I think, uh, uh, persons are more important than books.
0: Uh Aha. Very interesting. Okay, so can you perhaps uh, tell us then, uh, so you started with the books of Arthur C. Clarke and many others like that, as you said, Um, and... In a way, as you've pointed out, broadly speaking, you've been a transhumanist all your life. So, what do you do today? I know that uh, you had a, a few years as a senior manager at the European Space Agency, but now you're a free, freelancer, uh, I think is what no, you say on your uh, blog. Can you give us a little better idea of
1: what you do today? Uh, yes, you know, uh, uh, well, let's start with what I used to do uh, mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Uh, So let's, uh, we have been uh, recalling uh, reading Arthur C. Clarke on a beach when I was a child. Let's fast forward to when I was a teenager and a young man. I decided that I wanted to be a scientist Mm -hmm. and that uh, I think was also a result of uh, direct inspiration. From all the good science fiction that I read and watching uh, Neil Armstrong walking on the moon Mm in uh, 1969. Uh, For that, you know, I am kind of happy of uh, having been uh, alive in uh, the 60s. -hmm. I shouldn't be happy perhaps because that means I am much older than I would like to be now. But uh, it was uh, really good to live through the space uh, program of the 60s and the beginning of the 70s. Yeah, the
0: Apollo Watching
1: people, yeah, watching people walking on the moon, that's something that blows your mind up. Mm -hmm. What we had after that is not something that I would call space program. But having seen... um, Uh, the Apollo program and the very exciting concept of space that we had at the end of the 60s, uh, the 2001 film and all that. I was sure that I wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be involved with science. So I became a theoretical physicist and I started at CERN, you know, the European Center for uh, High Energy Physics where they found uh, or they think they found uh, Higgs boson awesome.
0: yeah.
1: a few weeks ago. So I stayed there until I moved uh, a few years after that to the European Space Agency. And uh, after that I became um, a manager with uh, another part of uh, European administration related to science and uh, technology as well,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but uh, very much involved with uh, military research. And that's not really something that I am at liberty to discuss. Mm-hmm. So a few years ago, I decided that what I was doing was too uh, boring and not interesting enough. Mm-hmm. And I decided to start on my own. Mm-hmm. For a few years, uh, I ran a virtual reality design uh, company called uh, uh, Mm Meta-Futuring. And we did a lot of very interesting things, uh, mainly related to simulations of uh, real uh, environments and the landscape. For example, one of the things that we did was development in uh, Second Life. And I'm quite happy to say that we did some of the most beautiful things that uh, have uh, ever been done in Second Life. Mm -hmm. And we worked in many other um, virtual reality development environments as well. Then the crisis hit. And uh, I didn't have as many clients as I used to. to have in the golden age of 2006 or 2007. Mm -hmm. And so mainly I have been working as a a, a writer in the last few years.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I collaborate very frequently with the Kurzweil AI online magazine. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And sometimes I write for other magazines as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way would you mind uh, moving the curtain a little bit uh, more
0: open because i think the sun has shifted yes
1: dark yeah yeah under. yeah the sun is getting down
0: yeah oh yeah it's it's getting late there too that's oh, why yeah, i think i can do something even better is it better this way i think it is oh yes uh this is it this is better yeah thank you thank you okay so uh so what what so? What's the motivation then behind all the work that you've done throughout the years at CERN, at the European Space Agency, now at Second Life, and so on? What if you are to sort of self-analyze
1: yourself? What's your motivation? It uh, really comes back to what uh, we were discussing a few minutes ago about uh, high and difficult. Uh, concepts like uh, what is good and what is not good. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my real motivation is to be happy and uh, doing uh, things that I find interesting makes me happy, doing things that inspire uh, some sort of uh, beautiful uh, cosmic visions, you know, that kind of things that makes you willing to wake up in the morning and do something good uh, that's me, uh, that uh, makes me happy gives me a lot of uh, intellectual uh, enjoyment mm-hmm. and uh, that's the reason why I do what I do but I would uh, hazard the idea that uh, that's the reason why we all do whatever it is that we do
2: mm-hmm.
1: so a- I'm not different from anyone else in this respect
0: mm-hmm. that's a very epicurean uh, idea by the way uh-
1: Definitely
0: is. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm a, I'm a big uh, Epicurean fan. Um, I mean, I love ancient Greek and Roman philosophy, but especially the ancient Greeks. Uh, the Epicureans are perhaps one of my favorites. Um, so, so, okay. So let's move on to sort of the more in-depth discussion of the singularity and transhumanism. But before that, I want to make a connection point between those two by asking you this question and see if it's going to work well
1: or not. Are you religious, Giulio? As uh, all uh, important uh, questions that really deserves uh, a simple answer, and uh, my simple answer is yes and no. Uh, <laughs> perhaps simple. we can come back to this point. Uh, uh, let's come back. Uh, well, uh, I think if you have been uh, reading...
2: Yeah, some I have of a quote
1: ...recently, then you realize that uh, that's what... Uh, These kind of things is what I spend most of uh, my time on. Yes. I, I have uh, a quote perhaps here Perhaps let's from you. stay with singularity and uh, transhumanism. And then let's move to this
0: yeah, yeah, so um okay, so um I'll, I'll come back to the quote then a little bit later then so then let me ask you this: is the singularity a religion? because I interviewed uh, uh, Jaron Lanier uh, probably a year ago or so, and uh, jaron's uh, criticism towards uh, The singularity in general and most singularitarians is that it is what he calls uh, the rupture of the nerds, the religion for geeks. Uh, And then he has an argument stemming all the way from, you know, Alan Turing and his, you know, supposed suicide and the original sin and all of that. So do you agree with that view that the singularity is a religion?
1: Well, you know, I have been working in the virtual reality field with so many years, how could I ever disagree with, uh, uh, Jared Lanier? Yes, <laughs> I do agree with that. Yeah, he is, like, uh, be... I don't want to say that, uh, singularity is a religion mm-hmm. because that would be wrong because, uh, many people don't think that singularity is a religion, but I can definitely say that, uh, transhumanism and uh, the singularity are things that can be interpreted as a religion by those who want to interpret them uh, uh, this way. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the life of uh, someone who wants to interpret the singularity as a religion, then singularity can uh, play exactly the same uh, uh, role that uh, was uh, usually played by religion mm-hmm. in the lives of our uh, grandfathers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh,
0: is there any difference with respect to transhumanism or is it the same situation there?
1: Um, you know, I don't make a sharp difference between the concept of uh, singularity and uh, Transhumanism, so uh, whatever I say about one can also be applied uh, to the other. As a matter of fact, as I use uh, the words myself, singularity and uh, transhumanism are largely synonymous. I know that not everyone Mm -hmm. sees uh, things uh, this way, but uh, 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 this is how I use uh, these words myself.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, because uh, one thing that I've noticed in the communities is that not all singularitarians are transhumanists, perhaps, but even more so, not all transhumanists are singularitarians. I think that's even more true. And and I think Max Moore is one of those people who is uh, perhaps one of the best known transhumanists. I mean, I think he coined the term uh, transhumanism, but Uh, I I wouldn't say that he would say that uh, he's a singularitarian also.
1: Well, in fact, uh, uh, Max wrote a couple of years ago an article uh, detailing his own understanding of the singularity. And uh, his position is very similar to my own. Oh. In fact, he didn't... uh, uh i mean he doesn't like singularity because it gives you the idea of a mathematical discontinuity and he says and i agree with him that uh, that doesn't happen in the real world it does happen in uh, uh, mathematics but it does happen in uh, it does not happen in uh, uh, physics
2: mm-hmm.
1: i mean it In mathematics, you have this very neat uh, and very basically simple phenomena, Mm -hmm. like an uh, ever-growing exponential. Mm -hmm. But when you apply mathematics to the real world of uh, physics, things are not uh, so clean. Mm -hmm. They are not so simple, and uh, every exponential is always uh, slowed uh, uh, down. Mm-hmm. by some physical effect like, you know, friction and this uh, uh, dissipation and heat. And he seems to think that that's exactly how the singularity will uh, play out and I agree with him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It will be something extremely important. It will be something very fast. It will be something with a huge impact on the world. But he doesn't see a mathematical discontinuity. He doesn't see an event uh, horizon.
2: Yeah.
1: And I do very much agree with this uh, more uh, how to say that without uh, offending anyone anyone more uh, real world like mm-hmm. interpretation of singularity. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I usually agree with uh, Max on so many things. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and and, and he's a, a very hard person to disagree with because his arguments are so uh, so good. They're so yes. sound. Uh, they're so exactly. sound that uh, it's very hard to disagree with. Exactly. He's a very powerful speaker.
1: Uh, of course, if I can interrupt, or uh, well, maybe we're thinking of something else, but I want to go back to the beginning one moment. Of course. So, i said that when i was a kid in the uh, in the 60s i didn't know there were uh, there was uh, such a philosophy called uh, transhumanism mm-hmm. now of course like nearly everyone else i found out about uh, the emerging uh, transhumanist community in the 90s thanks to the internet
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, you know if uh, you ask at least 50% of uh, transhumanists, what was the very first thing that you read that made you know that there was a transhumanist uh, community uh, in the world? Uh, Then one person out of two, and that uh, includes me will mention an article appeared on Wired Magazine in the middle of the 90s, maybe 94 or 95. It was an article about Max Moore and uh, Natasha Vitamore yeah. called Meet the Extropians. And uh, it was after reading uh, that article that I say, "Wow, what I think has a name, I am an Extropian. As a matter of fact, I don't even make a very sharp difference between uh, Extropianism and uh, Transhumanism. These are all uh, different words to convey basically the same thing uh, with uh, some uh, little uh, different uh, shade of meaning, Mm -hmm. but we are uh, all saying uh, very similar things. Mm
0: -hmm. I see. Okay, Um, so uh, perhaps now is the time to. uh, Say to to give your quote here about uh, religion in order to make a connection to the, the further things that we I want to talk about here about which are the order of cosmic engineers and the Turing Church. So um, I took uh, this uh, very short paragraph from from your blog, where uh, on the topic of religion you say the following. In religion, I understand the position of atheists, but I sympathize with the spiritual approach to reality and values of many believers. In other words, I can live with most combinations of moderate socialism, libertarianism, atheism, spirituality. At the same time, I find fundamentalism, bigotry and
1: intolerance very annoying, regardless of whether they come from. That's a very good quote and one which really summarizes very well uh, what I think on so many things. Thank you very much for picking that one. Uh,
0: No problem. I actually have another uh, couple of quotes that I plan to bring here during our interview as points of discussion. So let's move on then. And and can you please tell us more about the Order of Cosmic Engineers and the Turing
1: Church? Right. Uh, which, uh, again, are two very similar things, uh, different in terms of uh, or organization. Now, a few years ago, I had been discussing with a good friend of mine, who is interested in the same things that I'm interested in. Uh, I don't know if you ever had him on the show. His name is Philippe van Nethervelde. No, not yet. He's a quite uh, well-known uh, transhumanist. And uh, hello, Philippe, if you're listening. And uh, I, I think really we're pra- connected with him on Facebook, actually. Yeah. Uh, he used to be the European representative of Foresight Institute a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I believe now he's somehow connected with Russia... 2045 initiative Mm -hmm. but I believe the best thing you can do is to get in touch with him so we shared a sensibility to a spiritual attitude that is not very common among uh, transhumanists so uh, a few years ago we decided to found a little organization and that was called Order of Cosmic Engineers Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, uh, uh, even if the website uh, doesn't exist anymore, I uh, imported uh, the list of uh, the people who contributed to the formulation of the first uh, documents mm-hmm. on another uh, website. And you really find a lot of uh, uh, great Uh, transhumanists, I remember that uh, Max Moore was there and uh, Mm -hmm. William Bambridge and uh, uh, I mean the list is very long.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Howard Bloom was there. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were so many others and it was really a good uh, group. We ran a mailing list, which was a very active mailing list in I think 2008 and 2009. And we had a lot of discussions. What we wanted to formulate was uh, what we called, and that was uh, a word invented by Philippe, (laughs) unreligion. And by that, we meant uh, something which has the good uh, parts of religion without having also the bad parts. Uh, Now, what happened is that, uh, you know, it's very difficult to design a worldview in a committee of people, you know, how they say too many cooks spoil the soup,
2: uh-huh.
1: uh, you know, is very difficult. Because whatever you say, there will always be someone who, for very good reasons, doesn't really agree that that's the right importation, uh, impostation, would like to make uh, some little change, in some little extras. Um There are things on which it's impossible to really uh, agree if uh, you want to formulate that. Giulio, Uh, would you mind if I interrupt you just for one second
0: and ask you to perhaps turn on the light if possible because it's starting to get really dark and I cannot Uh, see at all.
1: Yeah, I understand. Let me see if I can...
0: Ah... Much does better. This, uh, does this improve things? Yeah, perfect. Much better. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you.
1: Yeah, but you know, I'm not a nice uh, 25 year old young uh, girl that everyone wants to look at.
0: It's okay. I, I don't have the best haircut in the world myself, but uh, it works. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, it's very aerodynamic. Maybe the most aerodynamic. Oh, well. <laughs>
1: well, but I have seen in the London uh, swim. Uh, Uh, Games that uh, many uh, swimmers do that uh, to swim faster. Yeah, so (laughs) I think our look is the good one. (laughs) It's
0: it's aerodynamic, right? (laughs) All right, going back to
1: the topic. um... Right. Okay. So uh, what I was saying is that we wanted to uh, design a complete uh, worldview, something Mm -hmm. very ambitious that could replace religion in the mind and in the heart of uh, uh, people to give happiness to many, many people in the world. And that's something that is very difficult to do in a committee. Mm -hmm. Uh, One uh, has to do that in a very small committee. So the Turing Church is uh, basically an attempt to do that in a very small committee of one. Mm-hmm. But uh, the idea is the same. To formulate something that, on one hand, is entirely based on our scientific understanding of the world, while at the same time is able to give the same uh, mental benefits that uh, religion gives, you know, hope, hope in immortality, hope in future uh, resurrection, in sense of uh, a meaning, a sense of uh, a wonder, the marvelous uh, universe that uh, we live in.
0: Mm-hmm. So let me stop you here for a second and say that uh, I find it's very interesting that you're looking for the intersection of transhumanism and spirituality. That doesn't happen uh, very often at all, especially, I think, in transhumanist circles. Uh, there is perhaps a, a bit of an aversion to, towards spirituality. Better. Um, So, and I want to bring in another quote from you here from another place that I took, um, and it it goes like this. The Turing Church will be a meta-religion without central doctrine characterized by common interest in the promised land where science and religion meet. Science becomes religion and religion becomes science. So I'm going to ask you to elaborate a little bit more on that, and then I'll press you a bit on it.
1: You know, there is not much to elaborate because it's not something very precise. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not very precise uh, by design. I don't want things to become too detailed, uh, too precise. Mm -hmm. I don't want to develop uh, a doctrine... I mean, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm not interested. What I want to do is to explore uh, spiritual concepts in the light of uh, science and uh, technology with uh, other uh, people who share the same sensibility.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: that's why, you know, uh, basically the Turing Church is a discussion group. Mm-hmm. So, it's okay. not anything more... Uh, is not anything different from a discussion a group uh, yet. Mm-hmm. It may evolve in a different direction in the future, or it may not.
0: Yeah. So let me press you a little bit on this then. Sure. Now, you have my sympathies entirely when we speak about spirituality. You know, uh, I, for example, am very interested not only in philosophy, but also in Zen Buddhism. I've always found myself extremely drawn towards uh, Zen Buddhism, perhaps more than anything else, but also a bit of Taoism, Confucianism, uh, and even Hinduism. Uh, so I, I totally sympathize with your spiritual leanings. However, I am very suspicious, uh, as, a, as someone who considers themselves an atheist, I am very suspicious of religion in general. Um, Why? Why? Uh, well, here's why, and that's my problem here, uh, my, uh, my uh, sort of um, instinctive uh, suspicion of, of this idea that science becomes religion and religion becomes science. Basically, science means that you follow the evidence no matter where it takes you. And so when you start up with a hypothesis and the evidence takes you to disprove that hypothesis, then you go back and you scratch it off, and you start again with another hypothesis. And you keep repeating this process until the evidence confirms the starting hypothesis. And then you start building on top of it, like slowly, right? So this is, in a way, perhaps uh, the the scientific method uh, oversimplified. Religion, on the other hand, uh, so in a way, science starts with doubt, right? You doubt something, you check it with test to verify if it if it is or if it isn't, and then you either prove or disprove your hypothesis. Religion, on the other hand, starts with the exact opposite. It starts with faith. It starts with... You say that. Well, most religious figures, and even the Bible, uh, they say that... Uh, God starts with faith. And so if you don't believe, you don't believe. And if you believe, believe. And faith is the basis or the foundation of everything from their own. And, and so... Uh, uh, if I may
1: interrupt one moment, especially yeah. since you mentioned Zen uh, uh, Buddhism, mm-hmm. uh, that's an example of uh, a worldview which is normally described as a religion to which you cannot apply this uh, definition of religion as something only based on faith that you just gave.
0: And that's why I love it so much. That's why it resonates with me so well.
1: Yes, Right. but, but it, uh, it's, uh, it uh, shows that not necessarily everything which is called a a religion, must be based uniquely on a faith. Mm-hmm. For example, I don't have any concept of faith at all. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, I agree with that, but my concern is that the traditional Judeo-Christian, uh, so uh, whether it's Islam or Christianity or uh, uh, the, the Jewish Torah, um basically the idea is very different than the eastern idea and that is that um you know you start with a dogma and that's that's what i mean i have many problems with religion but that's one of my biggest problems so basically you start with a dogma which by definition you cannot negate regardless of what the experience or the tests reveal to you right and so The moment that you refuse to uh, accept that dogma, that starting definition, then you're, by definition, not a Jewish, uh, not not a Jew, a Christian, or a Muslim, right? And so, but that, for me, is the biggest difference between science and religion. In science, there's no really lasting dogmas. You know, there was a dogma about uh, Newton's law of gravity, and then Einstein came along and said, well, but that's not really the case, right? Right. Eventually, things will change even for Einstein's theory of relativity, and that's what science and the scientific method is all about. But if you look at it 2,000 years or 3,000 or more years in the case of Judaism and so on, 1,000 years or so roughly for Islam, things haven't really changed that much. The main dogmas, the main precepts are there, and that's the foundation of religion. And so for me, the problem when you say that, You know, science will become a religion and religion will become science. For me, there is a very strict benefit to separating, just like separating state from church is a crucial thing.
1: I definitely agree that uh, separating state from church is a crucial thing.
0: Yes, to have proper society. The same, I think, applies to science. Science, by definition, must never be religious in essence, because... You should always be able to go and change your hypothesis and there should never be dogmas which do not uh, concur with the reality of tests. I
1: completely completely agree with that. You know, uh, I call myself a religious person, but I am uh, uh, very much uh, aware that... uh, No religion would uh, ever think that I am a good member of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I were living uh, in uh, the Middle Ages, for the kind of things that I write, I understand very well that I would have been burned on a stake, Mm -hmm. like it happened to Giordano Bruno in Campo dei Fiori, some like uh, Mm -hmm. 500 years ago. Well, I'm happy that I do not live in the Middle Ages. But, uh, you know, you have been saying uh, many things uh, about uh, religion, but I just don't think that that is a definition of religion. And, uh, in fact, uh, in the case of Zen uh, Buddhism, it does not apply. Now, if you say that, well, uh, it is a fact that uh, Judeo-Christian religions have been uh, very dogmatic, and have uh, uh, demanded from uh, the believers a blind faith based on accepting all that uh, the church said. Uh, I cannot deny that because it's a fact. But is that really central to what religion is? I think it is not. I think it's uh, an incidental. is a very unfortunate incidental uh, feature of uh, many uh, religions, including the religions that we were uh, uh, born in. Mm -hmm. But if you think of how these things happen, what uh, leads to oppression, uh, what leads to dogma, what leads to intolerance, is not spirituality, is not ideology, is not uh, philosophy. Is something much more... uh, concrete, I believe. And uh, uh, Marx uh, saw that very well. These things are only determined by uh, money and power. It's not like the hierarchies of the church oppress uh, uh, believers because they think that is the right thing to do. They do it because they want to keep their uh, uh, power over the uh, believers. And that uh, will help them uh, making more uh, money and getting even more uh, uh, power and so on. We don't have to resort to abstract and uh, very complex uh, philosophical uh, concepts to explain something uh, so uh, simple that, you know, unfortunately, it is in the human nature to try to get as much uh, power. As uh, possible over other people mm-hmm. that doesn't have anything to do with philosophy. So, do I agree that these are uh, features that exist in many uh, religions? Yes, of course, I do. Do I think that these are uh, the defining features of religion? No, I don't.
0: Okay, I so think what you can
1: you... define religion in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. That uh, don 't include intolerance don't, don't include dogmatism are completely compatible with uh, scientific knowledge and with scientific uh, uh, method and uh, that 's the kind of religion that i 'm interested in mm-hmm.
0: so So what would be the features that you think are non incidental to major religions and which you think can benefit science if science
1: were to embrace them There are many. Uh, One is very basic is hope. I say that uh, happiness is, I think, uh, a central value. I do consider happiness as a uh, primary value. And it is evident that hope is, uh, is a necessary condition for happiness. Hope is something very important. Hope is what motivates you to uh, wake up in the morning and do something good. If you have no hope, you don't want to do anything good. Yeah. So, hope in what? Mm, and uh, that's also the reason why we have invented religion. Is uh, well, there are many re- there are many reasons, of course, but I think this is the most important one. We have invented religion because you don't want to accept the idea that we will uh, uh, die, and especially the idea that we will not see our uh, loved ones who are already dead uh, anymore. Mm -hmm. That's something that completely destroys your happiness and doesn't let you live, doesn't allow you to live a good life. Mm Uh, that's the reason why our ancestors invented religion. And uh, you find that in every religion that has existed on uh, the planet, there is a concept of uh, resurrection in uh, an afterlife. It's very different from religion to religion. The... Christian concept of heaven is uh, quite different from the uh, from the Islamic one. Yes. For example, but you will see your loved one again in an afterlife. Yes. Uh, 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 this is what our ancestors uh, thought, and uh, it's very easy. To to see that this has uh, a big uh, survival uh, value at the societal level. Because, you know, if uh, you can hope in something, you are a better fighter or you are a better hunter or a better farmer or a better worker. So you need hope, and specifically, you need hope in resurrection in an afterlife. Now, our ancestors were not able... To even remotely imagine any uh, mechanism for that. So they had to invent the concept of supernatural. They invented, well, okay, so perhaps our world has been uh, created by a God that is completely outside the universe, doesn't have to obey anything like physical laws, and so on. This is the origin of the concept of supernatural, upon which uh, Much of the religious uh, doctrine, including uh, dogmas, has been uh, based. Now, I think uh, you agree with me so far, don't you? Yes. Now, let's go back uh, to your definition of science, (laughs) which is also my definition of science, which means that you have to make a hypothesis, then you have to go and um, follow what you find experimentally until wherever it leads you. And that's how science works. You don't uh, do science uh, with uh, preconceived uh, notions Uh of where you want uh, science to lead you. Uh You follow science and you follow experiment. Now, it seems to me as a scientist, as uh, someone who studied to be a scientist and has continued to follow science, since uh, since a very long time, it seems to me that uh, science will enable us to hope in uh, resurrection in an afterlife again. And I'm talking of uh, the concept of uh, technological uh, uh, resurrection, which in the Christian world was introduced, for example, by Russian mystic Nikolai Fyodorov at the end of the 19th century. He was the first one who dared to formulate this uh, so astonishingly beautiful concept that science may one day be able to resurrect the dead. Uh, He was not the first one. He was not the last one. The same uh, Concept has been explored by modern thinkers like uh, Hans Moravec, like uh, Frank uh, Thiepler in his Physics of Immortality. Mm-hmm. Uh, this seems like uh, you know quite uh, a tough uh, thing to do for the future generation. Do I have any idea of what science and what technologies our uh, descendants? Will use to resurrect the dead from the past? No, I don't have the foggiest idea because I don't think our understanding of science enables us to even begin to imagine the kind of super science mm-hmm. upon which that may depend. But I do think that um, this may be a possibility for uh, future generation, not for the next generation. I'm not uh, imagining things that may happen in a couple of hundred years. This cannot happen in a couple of hundred years. In fact, if you read uh, Frank uh, Tipper's book, uh, you see that he imagined resurrection after billions of years Mm -hmm. at the physical end of the universe. There have been other uh, writers who have imagined uh, some... uh, possible mechanisms for resurrection that may happen much before the billions of years that we have to wait for the end of the physical universe. But, you know, um, I don't want to speculate on the uh, details of how that can happen because I don't think I know enough to speculate on this. I just want to speculate on the fact, the high level concept that science and technology may permit resurrecting the dead from the past. Now, this is the central concept of uh, religion, and I think this is what is really important. Mm -hmm. Hierarchies and dogmas and holy inquisitions and holy war and all that, all these things have happened. I'm not denying That these things happen. But what I do say is that uh, these are uh, really incidental things. And the real definition of religion is what I just gave. And uh, it is very much oversimplified, of course. Mm -hmm. But the definition of religion is uh, something that uh, lets you hope in in an afterlife where Mm -hmm. you can be resurrected together with the persons that you loved. Mm
2: -hmm. It's a very simple definition. And
1: I think this very simple definition is completely compatible with our current uh, scientific understanding of the universe. So the way I like to describe this is that it is like, uh, you know, like uh, religion had been uh, uh, thrown away by the back door of superstition but now he's coming back through the main door of science. <laughs> because uh, once you forget all the incidental superstructure of uh, religion, as you see something very much dogmatic, what you're left with? You're left with something simple. You're left with something uh, very... Uh, beautiful you're left with something uh, scientifically sound like this central idea that science and technology may in the future be able to resurrect the dead Mm -hmm. and that's religion coming back from the main door of science
0: that's very interesting it's a it's a fascinating idea. Well, Julio, time is advancing here. So I would like to, to, I have about three three more questions that I'd like to ask you. So perhaps we can uh, do that within the next five to 10 minutes sure. uh, to bring it to an end. But um, let me just ask you this uh, to sort of challenge everything that uh, what you just said. I want to bring in a third quote from you today and mm-hmm. another quote from somebody else that I interviewed on this show too. So the, the quote from you goes like this. My worldview in a nutshell, I appreciate that our complex world is complex, and I'm very suspicious of simple black and white truths, magic formulas, and one size fits all solutions. So that's perfectly straightforward. I entirely agree with it. However, now, keeping in the back of our minds ideas such as transhumanism and the technological singularity, here's what Charlie Strauss who is one of my favorite science fiction writers? Said, and mine. Uh, and well, here's what Charlie said on my show. He said, The world is complicated, elegant narratives explaining everything are wrong. And he was specifically referring to the technological singularity. So, what what would you like to, to say about that?
1: Again, he's uh, one of my favorite writers. And uh, how can I ever disagree with something that Charles Stross says? Of course he's right. Of course there is no one size fits all explanation for anything.
0: And 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 don't you think that both me and you are kind of committing perhaps this idea of embracing a little too much a single convenient, uh, straightforward, easy to understand a little bit more more or less black and white idea in the form of transhumanism and the technological singularity?
1: Well, I don't think it's uh, straightforward, and I don't think it's uh, that simple. Um, <laughs> I do adopt uh, this uh, worldview because it's the system of thought that, um, that uh, I like to use. You know, it's something like a shirt. I'm wearing, Oh, well, you're wearing a shirt of the same color than I am. That means we both like uh, blue shirts. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why I didn't wear a yellow shirt and you didn't wear a red shirt because we both prefer blue. And that's the same thing <laughs> with uh, Singularity and uh, Transhumanist. I'm very much aware. Uh, I want to make a quote from... Uh, Someone who is not one of my friends. In fact, from someone who does criticize me a lot, I believe you must be familiar with him. His name is Dale uh, Carrico. He teaches uh, humanities
2: mm-hmm.
1: at University of uh, uh, Berkeley. Now that would be an interesting guest to have on, uh, to have on the show. Anyway, he does criticize me and other uh, transhumanists really a lot. But uh, sometimes he says interesting things. And one thing that he said once is that uh, our uh, transhumanist aspirations constitute the stained uh, window that uh, colors our uh, everyday perception of the Mm world and that is completely right also in uh, the sense of uh, uh, Charlie Strauss Uh, it is a choice it is a choice that we have made Mm -hmm. both uh, uh, you and I have made the choice of wearing a shirt of this color and we have made the choice of uh, seeing the world to this uh, specific uh, color in this uh, sense uh, Mm-hmm. It's not uh, surprising; it's mm-hmm. just a personal choice. Uh,
0: very interesting, Julio. Uh, um, it's time to bring our conversation to an end with the last two questions that I always ask of guests on my show. So, uh, the first one is:
1: Where can people find more about you and your work? Uh, scattered. Uh, I mean, I'm very easy to find on Google but I remember that you started uh, uh, the show by reading from the Wikipedia page about me. Yes. And uh, that page needs very much to be updated. Um, So in the meantime, I would recommend uh, to start there, but uh, let's make something uh, even more interesting. I guess you will uh, uh, write something... Uh, about uh, this interview, yes. Together with the video, so mm-hmm. what I will do, I will send you the four or five most uh, significant and uh, actual and interesting uh, starting points.
0: Okay. Excellent. In the
1: meantime, in the meantime, just
0: Google me. I see, and I'll of course uh, include those links um, in the article. Uh together with publishing this interview. Okay, so the final and the, perhaps the most important question that I always ask of my guests is this. Julio, do you have a single message or the most important thing that you would like our viewers and listeners to take away from this interview with you today?
1: I think we have already covered that in more uh, uh, detail, but uh, what I would like to remind all viewers is that a dead is not at the end. Mm. Science and uh, technology are not supernatural God, but future science and uh, technology may be able to re- resurrect us in the future. As simple as that.
0: Very interesting. Um, I hope you're right. Uh, but uh, even if you're not, there's so much we can talk about just exactly. this one topic. That You know, uh,
1: Nicola, it's, uh, it's not a dogma. It's not something yeah. that has to be right because uh, it's written on some books. Uh-huh. It's something that we have to do ourselves. You see my point? Yes, absolutely. Now, mm, I don't say that I am right. I never think that I'm right. I'm just saying that what uh, it's possible. we have been discussing, I think, is uh, very much compatible with our uh, scientific understanding of the world.
2: Yes.
1: But uh, it will not happen because it's written on a, an old book. It yeah. will happen if scientists and engineers and ourselves and our children and our grandchildren and future generations make it happen. So what I think, I think I'm right. Mm, I hope I am right. (laughs) I hope so too. Now, uh, let's suppose I'm not right. (laughs) That uh, nothing of that will happen because the human race will be wiped out by an asteroid in a couple of hundred years. Uh, In that case, I'm not right. Well, perhaps some uh, alien civilization will uh, engineer uh, resurrection, but uh, it will not be us. But... Uh, Even in that case, I think uh, a worldview based uh, on something good that will happen in the future if we make it happen Mm -hmm. is also a very powerful uh, motivating factor for ourselves here and now, regardless of whether it happens Mm -hmm. in actuality or not. Mm -hmm. Because uh, what do we have to do in order to... uh, enable our uh, future children to develop uh, resurrection technology, we have to continue developing science and technology. But no, first, something more important first. We have to make sure that our species continue to exist. That means we have to avoid war. We have to colonize space because Mm -hmm. we cannot remain confined here on a little planet for too long time. In order... To achieve future scientific resurrection, what we have to do are all the things that we have to do anyway.
2: Uh
1: Living in peace on the planet, ensuring a better world for future generations, colonizing space, overcoming our uh, instinct to fight each other all the time. Uh And you see, these are things that we have to do because they are good things to do and exactly the same things. Will enable our descendants to develop magic technology, and that's something that really makes you wake like, uh, get out of bed with happiness in the morning because you have something to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I think I'm right, but uh, even if I'm not right, perhaps I'm right anyway. <laughs> All right, and and I think, as I said, as, as
0: I was saying, that there's so much we can talk about that one topic alone that uh, I might get tempted to invite you again on the show sometime. I
1: will be always happy to come back, and I would like to express again my thanks together with all the transhumanist community for the really excellent work that you are doing with these podcasts.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I think you're making me blush and I'm not easy to blush actually
1: at, at all. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nicole. <laughs> thank you very
0: much, Julio. I really appreciate you being with us today.